0: Welcome to Vallejo's Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast on the first Sunday of Advent, December 1st, 2019. The Reverend Wendy Kamori Stager is preaching. Her message is hopeful joy. The Old Testament scripture this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, and the New Testament lesson is Romans chapter 13 verses 11 through 14. our New Testament lesson. This comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. It comes from the 13th chapter verses 11 through 14. And this morning I'll be reading it from the translation from the message, which is a translation and also kind of a paraphrase that helps us, I believe, hear the scripture in a fresh way. Listen for God's word to you today. Make sure You don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on on the salvation work God began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute, must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed, get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ, and be up and about. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a word of prayer. O God, in whom all things are possible, we seek your word of hope In our times of struggle, use your ancient words in scripture to bring a relevant word to us this day. By your Holy Spirit, help it to become alive so that your word might be alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a parent and as friends of other parents, I have started to notice a surprising number of other parents who have children and teens who are confronting the mental health issue of anxiety disorder. I mean, we know that children and adults have worried over the years, and all of us have our own worries and fears. but. I started counting up, and there are more than can fit on my hand of families that I personally know where a child has not been able to attend school for days because of anxiety. I've heard stories of teens who suddenly have pounding hearts and dizziness and shortness of breath. You know, a a panic attack. And then the next day, they have a fear that they're going to have another panic attack which can trigger yet another panic attack. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of American website, Dr. Koppelwitz is observing that over the past 10 years, there's been an increase of 17% of anxiety diagnoses in young people. And you know and I know the topics of those worries are familiar. Elementary school children fear natural disasters and storms. They have separation anxiety about their parents getting hurt. They themselves fear about becoming physically injured. As children go older, tweens and teens, there are fears about school performance and grades, their own health, as well as friendships and being socially competent. As parents, you want the kids to be happy, and so parents have been working so hard to create scenarios that can avoid those triggers that bring on the panic attacks. It brings up questions like, should I switch my son out of this school into a different school? Maybe that'll help, or maybe maybe homeschool, or... or Maybe a parent is looking at changing a job to be more available and to be um, able to be around. And yet, some of those fears, mom, don't get in a car because you might get in a car accident, are completely impractical. You can't stop driving to the grocery store because your child is afraid of what will happen to you. Because even as a parent, or maybe especially as a parent, there's the reality that there are only certain things that parents can control, and a lot of things that we can't. Even an affluent, privileged, educated, and very loving, healthy, emotionally healthy parent cannot set up the world in such a way that there are no triggers for anxiety. That no parent can promise there will be nothing to fear for their anxiety-prone son or daughter. So all the parents and all of us who are asking the question, how can I set up my child to avoid suffering and maximize happiness? It sends us in the wrong direction. Dare I say it's actually the wrong question. It's the wrong pursuit to be about. Because it is part of life that will eventually, sooner or later, will invade. No amount of protection or privilege makes any human being in life immune to suffering and hard things happening. And so wise spiritual leaders tell us switch your question. The question is not how do I avoid pain and maximize happiness. The question is this. How do we find joy in the middle of the suffering? How do we find hope And positivity in the middle of the hard times. How do we find where God is even when times are difficult? Perhaps it's like this. It's a quote that my mother-in-law gave to me. It just simply says, life isn't about waiting for the rain to stop. It's about learning to dance in the rain. The scripture today is in this same idea. Paul writes to the Romans, the night, meaning a time of struggle, is about over. Dawn is about to break. And so he's telling those who are faithful, be awake and up to what God is doing. It's not what God will be doing. It's what God is doing during the dark He lets us know that God is putting the finishing touches on salvation work. Paul, the author of this letter to the Romans, acknowledges that the night, the time of difficulty, when things are dangerous and confusing and out of control, he knows that as a reality and yet still claims that God is at work in this time as well. And it's not just the words that he has left. His own biography is one where he embodies this hope and trust in God. Those of you who have studied your Bible might remember how Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was some kind of an unnamed physical impairment or ongoing pain. And then, if you've read about his travels, you know that he got shipwrecked more than once. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was yelled at. He was hauled off by authorities. Paul's life was no cakewalk. But yet, this is the same man who writes these words of hopefulness. He had a perspective of how to see hope and joy in the middle of his trials and tribulations. He didn't expect that God was going to remove all his obstacles and give him smooth sailing, but he did expect that God would, that God does, that God is indeed working all through the night, all through the difficulties. And I think I can believe Paul more because he had hardships. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd rather take spiritual advice from someone who has lived through difficulty than for someone who has it easy. It's not as abstract. He lived in a spiritual, hopeful joy. So likewise, in preparing for this series on joy to the world, I've been reading the book of joy, Lasting Happiness in a Changing World. This is an account edited by Douglas Abrams of the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu getting together to celebrate the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday. I think I've got a picture of these guys. This was in April of 2015. Douglas Adams is in the middle, right? Dalai Lama's here in the row. There's Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And they got together with the idea that the birthday would be celebrated by giving this gift to the world, the gift of their dialogue of how do we find joy in the face of life's inevitable suffering. Because these two men know and have lived through suffering. The Dalai Lama has been exiled from Tibet. Even though he worked toward peace with China, China has made him an enemy of the state. He lives without his home. He watches his people continue to be oppressed. And he wonders if they will ever be back. Archbishop Desmond Tutu was a leader in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa and he witnessed an ongoing cycle of violence that affected him personally. He had to officiate over hundreds of memorial services for men, women, and children including other priests and his friends and colleagues. And on a more ordinary level, both of these men are now in their 80s, and they have 80-year-old bodies. Desmond Tutu's prostate cancer is back. The Dalai Lama suffered a painful gallbladder attack. And he does mention he has bad knees that prevent him from taking a traditional meditative posture anymore. And yet, these two men as they talk about their important work of joy amidst suffering they embody joy look at these guys next look, they're, they're laughing in this picture look at these guys right look at their faces they're whispering to each other they're telling each other secrets I saw, I saw a video where Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who kind of does this, he pointed, and the Dalai Lava took, his, his, uh, took the finger and he stuck it in his ear. <laughs> and, and the people around him are like, yeah, start, you better start acting like holy men. Look at this next picture. Right? Right? They're, yeah, they're dancing, right? What? What? There's one more. Yeah, like, they are just... They tease each other, right? The, uh, you know, the Dalai Lama teases how big Archbishop Desmond Tutu's nose is, right? And, and the people around them are always surprised, too. I mean, they're sort of laughing. You know, when the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop walk into a bar, you don't expect them to be the one cracking jokes. But indeed, they are, the, the, they're, these two 80-year-old men, they're like schoolboy pranksters when they're together. They are friends, and they laugh. They laugh together. And when I look at their bodies and their faces and their posture, I can tell that they live with hopeful joy. They are living proof that the capacity for joy is never determined by the external circumstances and that the capacity for joy lies in a spiritual core it doesn't get created by the external easy life these men embodied that it can be nurtured by nurturing the soul There's a lot of chapters in this book, but they start off with the very first attitude that's going to lead to joyfulness is perspective. So while being undeniably honest about the realities of global injustice, honest about the frustrations of those aching knees, both men take on this larger perspective. And it's a hope-filled perspective And they return over and over again to gratitude. For those of you who were here last Sunday and certainly on the week that contained Thanksgiving, we talked and creatively imagined 100 different things to be grateful for. But as we did that, did you notice that your perspective changed as you kept finding and thinking of more and more and more to be grateful for? Gratitude is like putting on a special pair of lenses. Lenses that help us look at our lives and circumstances and the world with that wider perspective. The Dalai Lama has been in exile for 56 years. And the archbishop asks him, Why are you not morose? Morose? What does that mean? Oh, sad. Sad. Okay. And the Dalai Lama says this, When I look only at Being a refugee, yes, I worry. But then I look at the world, and there are a lot of problems, even within the People's Republic of China. Not only do we suffer, but so many of our human brothers and sisters. But the experience of becoming refugees has given me the opportunity to meet with different people. So if you look from another angle at the tragedy, you see that it gives me new opportunities. That's the main reason I'm not sad or morose. So the Dalai Lama is full of hopeful joy. Archbishop Desmond Tutu is full of hopeful joy. The Apostle Paul is full of hopeful joy. What about you? Because it's not about being a famous holy man. It's about holding the same perspectives that they do. A perspective which is the conviction by faith that there is no hopeless situation. And then taking that that perspective and sharing it with others by living out your life, your life where everything indeed doesn't go easily, your life with its ups and downs, and yet you continue on. For we need more people who embody hopeful joy. For those children with anxiety, they need to look up to you. They need to see you as living proof that there will be a future that they can grow up into, and even a joyful future that they cannot yet see themselves. They need a community of parents and coaches, aunties and grandpas, neighbors and family friends who live both with the difficulties of life and with joy. Indeed, that's what it means to bring joy to the world. This is indeed our invitation to be the ones who sing it, who say it, who it shows on our faces that we might bring joy to the world. Amen. You have been listening to Community Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Community Presbyterian Church and its ministries, Come visit us at 2800 Georgia Street in Vallejo, California, or visit our website, cpcvallejo.org. You can also email us at cpcvallejo at sbcglobal.net. Have a blessed day.